On October 27, 1982, Prince released his fifth studio album entitled 1999. And for my entire life, the title track of that album played at every dance, every lock-in, every halftime show, and every bowling alley birthday for as long as I could remember. And at some point, I realized that by the time 1999 finally arrived, I would be turning 18 years old and starting my senior year in high school. And I made a decision that on December 31st of that year, we would celebrate the end of a century and quite possibly the end of the world with the greatest New Year's Eve party of all time. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. Before we get to the end though, I have to tell you about high school. Coming out of middle school, you go through a lot of obvious changes, and at the start of my ninth grade year, I had really shifted from hanging out with the hippies to hanging out with what I'm going to call the good kids, and I really stuck with them throughout the rest of my high school career. So let me tell you about the good kids. There's basically three guys that became my best friends during that time, and those guys were Isaac, Ray, and Garrett. Isaac, Garrett, and I all lived in the same neighborhood. They just lived right up the street for me. In fact, Garrett and I lived on the same street and Isaac was just off of that street, right in between Garrett and I. And Ray lived in a neighborhood just down the road and he was kind of just always around at one of our houses. And so our neighborhood became sort of the hangout place. Like I said before in last episode, there was a lot of kids in that neighborhood and it was just a cool place to hang out. We spent our time hanging out at the pool, playing spades, you know, just doing things that kids do. And the main reason that I think I switched to hanging out with them was just that they were fun. Um, the hippies that I was hanging out with were kind of like bad attitude, always grumpy. And that was cool for a while, but honestly, after a while, it got old. And these other guys were just fun, and they were they were funny, and they were always down to hang out, and their parents were cool, and they liked me, and it just made a whole lot more sense. Also, some of the hippies that I was hanging out with in middle school had changed schools for high school, so they weren't even around anymore. So, start of my ninth grade year, I've kind of got a new friend group. I'm feeling more established in the school. In ninth grade, I really only have one real solid memory worth mentioning, and that is my short-lived relationship with this girl named Amber. The main thing about Amber was that she was cool. She was kind of a holdover from the hippie group that I was hanging out with, but she was still around. She didn't go to my high school, but I saw her all the time at church, and she was really, really cool. And Amber and I started dating, and it was like this cool, fun little relationship. She had a car already, and she was like actually a year older than me. So it was easy to hang out with her. And the whole reason I mentioned Amber is that I have to tell you about the first time I had like a real kiss, and it was with Amber. It was, you know, a solid French kiss, baby. And, you know, when you're in ninth grade, the French kiss is something that you're just looking forward to. I don't even know if people use that word anymore, Frenching but that's what we talked about back then. And I remember one day, Amber was over at my house, and we were standing out by her car. She was about to leave and, you know, doing the ninth grade 
huggy thing that you do with your girlfriend by the car. And I really forget how it happened, but I found myself just kissing Amber and it was like full on making out and it was amazing. And I literally remember, this is so silly, but when she left, I like got on my bike and I just like started cruising around the neighborhood, just like laughing and smiling. It was just amazing. Some of you guys remember that first real kiss and it's worth noting and it's part of my life. So I had to throw it in there. All right. That's really all I remember from ninth grade. But in 10th grade, things got to be really cool. I started driving. I got a car. It was my dad's old 1988 Mazda 323 hatchback. It was 10 years old, and it was awesome. It was red. It was a stick shift. It had a tape deck and crank windows, and it was just fun, and I could zip around town in that thing. I got a job working at Chick-fil-A in the mall, and I just felt like, you know a real person for the first time. I got my freedom with my car. I'm making my own money. I'm having a great time. I'm running around town, hanging out with friends. You know how it is. And it was just awesome. And in 10th grade, with the advent of my freedom through the car, a lot of fun stuff started happening. Primarily, my ability to go camping. I'd always been drawn to the outdoors and camping. And I just wanted to experience that freedom for myself. And so my friends and I, Isaac, Ray, Garrett, and a couple other guys, Blake and John, we would go camping all the time. And we would go up to this little mountain that's right outside of town where we would drive our cars up this dirt road, this long dirt road, and bring like Mountain Dew and, you know, just bullshit, you know, chips and snacks and stuff. There was never any girls that went with us, except sometimes John's sister, Angie, would come, and she was cool. She was like the only girl that was like ever allowed to go camping with us. But we would go up to Chenal Mountain and hike up. Well, we'd drive up those dirt roads and kind of park wherever. All my friends drove these big monster trucks, and I drove the little Mazda, and it was fun trying to keep up with them getting up those hills. But we'd park somewhere and then climb up to the top of this mountain and just have sleeping bags, no tents, just lay out under the stars and lay there all night long, just being idiots, laughing, drinking Mountain Dew, and just, you know, being stupid. And it was so much fun just laying out under the stars. And one of the things that we would do all the time up there is we would smoke cigars. And this is when I really started using tobacco, which I continued for 20 years. Thank God I've just recently quit, but we'll get to that later on. But we're smoking cigars, and the cigar that we were smoking was Backwoods. It was always Backwoods. And back then, Backwoods were not as popular as they are now. They used to come in packs of eight. Now that I think they come in packs of five. But they used to come in packs of eight, and there was only like two flavors. The brown package, which was like the original... And then they had the uh, sweet and aromatic package, which was the like sort of peach colored package. And you'd tear open the, the little package and there'd be eight cigars in there. And you used to be able to get a pack of eight for like 450 or something like that, maybe even less. Now they're way more expensive. But we'd get a pack of Backwoods and go up to Chenal Mountain, smoke cigars all night long and just be idiots. And that's really what 10th grade was like for me. I mean, that's, those are my real memories from that particular year. I, I have to mention that just because I've just always been drawn to that. And, and it just came easy to me, camping, 
climbing mountains, floating rivers, building fires. This stuff was just like innate to me. Like an athlete is gifted at basketball or whatever. I was always drawn to and gifted at outdoors stuff like camping, fishing, hiking, that kind of thing. And so we started doing that a lot. And that has carried on throughout the rest of my life for sure. Also in 10th grade, I started dating this girl, Courtney, and she became kind of my longest high school girlfriend, really. She was close with our friend group, and, you know, we liked each other a lot, and we started dating, and whatever that means when you're a kid, you know, going to movies and stuff, and, like, going out on little dates to Chili's or whatever, and I can just imagine, like, being a server at Chili's and seeing these two 10th graders come in, and they're, like, dressed nice, and they're all nervous, and they're just, like, you know, ordering molten lava cakes and bullshit like that. It, it must have been a funny scene. But, you know, when you're in that age, when you're in that world, it, it's so serious and it means a lot. And you, you want to be an adult in so many ways. And Courtney and I dated for, you know, a long time. And she was definitely my first, like, long-term steady girlfriend that, you know, I'd have fights with and, you know, argue with. And there'd be drama and we also, you know, started fooling around a little bit. You know, we never had sex or anything, but we fooled around a lot. And, you know, that was, to be honest, that was awesome at the time. And I had this great, like, pride slash deep guilt about that in that time. And some of you guys remember what that feels like, but that, like, high school guilt. Oh, there's nothing worse than knowing you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. But, man, it's so hard not to do it. And I don't know what else to say about that, but that's what was going on in my life during that time. Now, to talk about 11th grade, I have to talk about my brother, Hunter. Hunter had graduated in the spring of that year, which would have been 1998, and went off to Fayetteville to the University of Arkansas. So when I was starting my 11th grade year, he was starting his freshman year of college. What happened then was that he got a new car and I got to drive his old car, which I had been excited about for a really long time because his old car was a 1974 Volkswagen Bug, baby blue, and it was amazing. He had the outside repainted, he had had the interior redone, he had a sweet sound system in there, he had a Pioneer CD player in it, and it just had this charm. I mean, it's a baby blue bug. Who doesn't love that? It was so fun. Everybody loved it. And that car came to me because he got a new car and I got the bug. So now I'm driving the bug. And I just felt like the king of the world. I'm driving around town. Everybody's smiling at me because I'm in this cute little bug. And I'm just, I'm just feeling amazing. And... With inheriting the bug from Hunter, what came with that was a little piece of Hunter that I always loved, but I didn't know how to attain it. And what I'm talking about is Hunter was cool in that older brother sense. He was never like me, whereas I was kind of outspoken and energetic in life of the party. Hunter was always more reserved. But the thing that I loved about him was that he was like my music guru. And I've talked about music in the past. This whole podcast is going to have a lot of music references in it. But Hunter really gets credit for 
showing me a deep love and appreciation for new music, but also finding new music. And so when I think about that time and I think about driving the bug and the music that I was getting from Hunter, he was kind of like bringing music home from college that he was finding there and, and giving it to me and sharing it with me. And I was just devouring it. And he had this CD that he brought home at some point, and it was the Tibetan Freedom Concert CD. And some of you are going to remember what I'm talking about. I've tried to find it on Amazon, on the internet. It is like unfindable. And the Tibetan Freedom Concert CD had this song on it by Ben Harper that was just mind-blowing. It was called Ground On Down. And it was just insane. And I remember riding around with Hunter in the bug listening to that song, and he would just crank the volume up so loud that it was almost unhearable. And I remember looking out the windows of that car with my elbow out the window and the wind blowing in my face and hearing that insane music and going, I am going to be the coolest freaking person on the planet one day. And that was that's like what you get from your older brother, you know? You, you just get infused with coolness. And I just took that and just received all of it. And I have a problem with like overconfidence and I was overconfident through the roof at that time in my life. So I'm listening to the Tibetan Freedom Concert CD and other things that were on that was this song by Noel Gallagher that was amazing. There was the song by Pearl Jam on there and Hunter had given me things like Bob Dylan, Blonde on Blonde, The Eels, Ben Folds Five and one day he came home from college with an album that truly changed my life. Light Fuse Get Away by Widespread Panic, the double live album from their infamous CD release parties um, from that time. I think it came out in 1997 or maybe 98. I don't remember exactly, but holy shit. I heard Widespread Panic, and it was like, I know exactly the kind of person that I'm going to be now. If you haven't heard Widespread Panic, just look them up right now and look up that album, Light Fuse Getaway. They're kind of a southern rock jam band, and they're still amazing, but back then they were at their pinnacle, and it was just so cool. And the reason Hunter knew about them was because they played a concert in Fayetteville at Bud Walton Arena back in 1998. And for whatever reason, Hunter ended up on the stage crew for that show. And I guess that's how he found out about him. Or maybe he knew about him before that. But either way, he came home and said, dude, I, I worked this concert in Fayetteville and you got to listen to this. You're going to love it. And it is amazing. Just like guitar driven, jammy, just awesome, awesome stuff. And that really changed my life. So I was just listening to all that stuff. And I was just like discovering my heart for music and the outdoors and, you know, just all the things that I truly still keep close to me now. I'm dating Courtney. I'm driving the bug around town. I'm working at Chick-fil-A. I'm painting the picture for you here of what my life was like at the time. And in order to talk about what my life was like at the time, I also have to tell you about my church experience. My family went to this church called Fellowship Bible Church, and it was right down the street from our neighborhood, and it was literally right next door to my school, Pulaski Academy. And I you know, it was just our local neighborhood church, but it was also like a big sort of magnet for people from the area. And it was just like PA was a rich white people school. Fellowship Bible Church was pretty much a rich white people church. 
So, you know, the, the, there was a lot of overlap. There was a lot of people at both places. And that's where we went. And when I was in, you know, junior high and high school, I started to go to their student ministry stuff, their youth group stuff. And it was really, really cool. There was a youth pastor there named Mark DeMoz, who was awesome. And he was just cool. And it was a fun place to be. And they did really fun stuff. They had great music. They had like hired professional musicians from around the country to be the band. And the band was really, really good. And they like built a rock climbing wall at the church. And they had this cool, like they called it the cave, which is where the youth, like Wednesday night youth meetings would happen. So we'd go up to the cave and it was just fun. There was like a coffee bar and all the girls were there and they did a great job of really making it attractive to young people to want to be there. And all the like, you know, there was no like adults there. All the leaders were like, you know, other young people, like college age kids and stuff. And so it just had a really cool vibe to it. And every year um, in, in the fall, they would do this fall retreat called Winter Chill. And Winter Chill was like this three-day weekend retreat at this camp in Oklahoma called New Life Ranch. And we would go out there and they would load up like, I mean, it seemed like there was probably 15 or 20 bus loads. I mean, it maybe wasn't that many, but it seemed like that. Maybe it was five or six. I don't know. But there was like just tons of kids that, that would pile out of these buses for, for Winter Chill. And it was so exciting. And me and my friends, Isaac, Ray, Garrett, and I, and Blake, and John, and Courtney, and all the girls that we hung out with all went to Winter Chill. And we were kind of, you know, in 10th and 11th grade, we were completely, you know, some of the most popular kids at Winter Chill, certainly in our grade. We were just well-known. People liked us a lot. And we were kind of always up on stage doing stuff and goofing and, you know, whatever. And Winter Chill is kind of a, a fun weekend slash serious weekend. They'd have preaching and games and music and, you know, food and s'mores and, you know, everything you might imagine that high schoolers would want to do on a weekend getaway. But you'd have these little cabins and little small group leaders and you'd have your small group time and stuff. And every year they did this thing that was basically, for lack of a better word, like an altar call. And they talk about Jesus and, you know, the... the their goal was to get these young people invested in and believing in the gospel and living their lives for Jesus. And, you know, I'm looking around me and it sounds really cool. And all the people I'm seeing here are nice. And all the leaders seem to really love me. And, you know, I believed it. I heard the message and, and it made sense to me. And one year they did the kind of altar call type thing. I mean, it wasn't that cheesy, but it was it was much more of a cool situation and they said you know if you want to give your life to Jesus come up front and pray with one of the counselors and um you know what are you waiting for and it was kind of one of those serious moments where i felt you know like a rush of blood to the head and i was like this is it this is for me i'm going to do this and i walked down front and i was crying and it was all emotional and all this stuff and but i I, I genuinely believed it, and, and, and I still do. And I gave my life to Christ and prayed with this guy and hugged him. And, you know, he said some encouraging words to me. And I remember walking out of that afterwards and just thinking, 
I can't believe how different I feel. And that sounds silly, but it, I mean, it was true. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I just felt like I, I just felt like I had done something significant. And so I carried that with me throughout too. So in painting the picture, you know, that was certainly a big part of it. We were very involved in the youth group program, all of us and all of our friends. And it was just really cool. Another memory from that time that just comes crystal clear to me from 11th grade was I'm still dating Courtney and we had one of those break up on again, off again. Oh my gosh, we're going to get married. I love you so much. And you know, all that kind of thing. And we would hang out a ton together and, you know, fool around a lot and then feel bad about it and all this stuff. And you know how that goes. And in 11th grade, we're dating and we go to this dance. I think it was like a winter formal thing is what it was called. And this is just quick, but it just, it just sticks in my mind when I think about high school. I think about this dance, or maybe this was like a combination of memories, but Courtney and I would always dance to the song, Strawberry Wine. And I don't even remember who sings this song. You guys remember, but at that very dance, there's a photographer and we're dancing. You know how dances are you don't really do a lot of dancing and then until you do, and then you like leave and go make out in the bushes. But I'm dancing with Courtney and there's a photographer there and the photographer's just walking around snapping pictures of people that are dancing, you know, and he takes a picture of me and Courtney and we knew that he was standing there taking a picture. Um, and so we're all cute and like nose to nose smiling, just being all lovey dovey and everything. And he kind of takes the picture from the side, you know, then, then he leaves or whatever. But just keep in mind, I'm dancing with my girlfriend, and, you know, we were, we were get, getting kind of hot and heavy on the dance floor, you know. And so I was excited. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Later on, the yearbook comes out from my junior year, and we're flipping through it. You know, everybody had forgotten about that dance. We had certainly forgotten about that picture being taken, okay? But the yearbook comes out, and you know how you do when you're in high school. You all sit around in a circle and flip through the yearbook together and stuff and laugh about everything. And it comes to our junior class page, and there on the page, about two-thirds of the page was taken up by this picture of me and Courtney from the winter formal dance, that nose-to-nose, smiley-face picture, and it's like full-length, head-to-toe photo of us and you can clearly see in the photo that I have a huge boner and it's like poking into her leg. <laughs> and everybody noticed it immediately. And it was like the most awesome, hilarious thing ever. I was not embarrassed by it at all because Courtney was totally gorgeous, you know, and I was kind of like, hey, you know. What do you expect? <laughs> and it was like the, this hilarious thing. And I've still got that yearbook now, and it's so funny. And I look at it, you know, every time I tell that story and I can break out that yearbook photo, it always gets a laugh. All right, that brings us to my senior year. The pinnacle of high school, the most fun time of my life ever. It was awesome. I know some of you guys probably hated high school, but it was great for me. And my senior year was the best part of all of it. Now, I got to tell you about my girlfriend at the time that I met, and then I'm going to tell you about New Year's Eve, the greatest party of all time. So I met this girl, Casey, the summer before my senior year, really. She was coming to youth group at Fellowship, and I had met her there with a friend. She was coming with a friend of hers that I also knew, 
and I met her and she was just really cool and we would hang out and I learned that she was a lifeguard in the summertime at this pool at this country club. And I was just kind of obsessed with her. She was so cool. She was so cute. She was so fun. And just kind of, we were into the same kind of music and she was just silly and crazy. And so one day my friend Blake and I were like, let's go see Casey at the pool. And it was in the summertime and we drove up to the pool and got in and we're like, hey, what's up, you know, and just kind of chatting her up and everything. And she was like, I think, you know, flattered that we were, we had come all the way up there just to mess with her and talk to her and stuff. And, and it was just fun. We had this really cool interaction where I could tell she was into me. And Blake, you know, was talking me up to her and everything. And, and I appreciate that. You got to have a good wingman. And Blake did a great job being my wingman. And then like later on, I think it was the next day, uh, Blake and I were driving around again and we saw her driving and he's honking at her and raising hell and just acting crazy and saying, hey girl. And uh, he goes, this boy wants your number. You know, he's like this redneck dude, had this white pickup truck. We were just driving around listening to ACDC. And so she stops and she's like, she's kind of sassy. And she goes, well, if he wants my number, he needs to come ask me for it. So I was like, oh my gosh. All right, so I jump out of the car and I say, hey, you know, we're kind of laughing and stuff. I say, hey, can I get your number? And she's like, yeah, and she writes it down. And I, I've still got the piece of paper somewhere, honestly. I kind of kept a lot of my treasures. But she wrote her number down and it said Casey and it had her number and it had a little smiley face. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this. Long story short, Casey and I start dating. And this whole time period where I'm dating Casey is just so magical, so fun, so awesome. We were listening to music. We were trading concerts, listening to Widespread Panic. And we had gotten into Fish at the time and the band Fish, not actually fishing, but the band Fish. Uh, and really, Fish was kind of at their first peak of success, you know, in the late 90s. We go see Fish in Memphis in September of 1999. She had gotten me Fish tickets for my 18th birthday. We drive to Memphis. Um, we had like nosebleed seats, but I really wanted to be on the floor. And we found the scalper outside that was selling floor tickets. We bought the floor tickets. We go inside to the fish show. I'm with my girlfriend. Life is amazing. Fish opens up with Runaway Jim. And it was just like this picture of where I was in life at the time, where it was just nothing but happy, nothing but wonderful, nothing but awesome. I'm dancing with my cute hippie girlfriend at a fish show in 99, and life was amazing. And it truly was. I mean, it just felt so cool and so awesome. Just like the Prince song, we were partying like it was 1999. And with that said, I gotta tell you about New Year's Eve. So since I was probably 12 years old, I knew that I wanted to have a massive New Year's Eve party for the 1999 to 2000 New Year's. I knew I would be 18 years old and a senior in high school and every, everything's kind of leading up to this point. And as the date starts to approach, the plan starts to come together. And my grandparents owned a couple of condos in Hot Springs because they were really involved with the horse racing scene down there. And that's kind of, that was my connection to that. And they had these two condos down there that were side by side. One belonged to the company that my granddad ran and the other one belonged to him personally. And so I started asking my mom, you know, hey, what do you think about having a New Year's Eve party down in Hot Springs at the condos where, you know, kids can come and just kind of my friends and everything. We'll just have a big old blowout. 
And to my great surprise, she was like, yeah, maybe we can do that, you know? And, you know, we definitely wanted to have girls there. And some of the parents of the girls were um, not into the idea of them spending the night with us down there or staying up all night in Hot Springs or driving home late night. And so my mom said, look, I'll go down to and I'll stay in one of the condos and I'll just be the chaperone. And so the plan became all the girls would sleep in one condo and all the guys would sleep in the other condo. And whenever we decided to go to bed, we'd go to our own separate condos. And really one of them would just be for the girls to hang out in and the guys condo would be kind of where the party would happen. And my mom said, she said, I'll just sit in the bedroom and read. I'm not going to bother you. I'm just going to be present. And, and that was really cool. And, and she knew that we weren't going to get into anything. And she knew that we weren't drinking at all. And in fact, one of the first things we did when we got down there was put away all the alcohol because there was a little bit of alcohol that my grandparents had laying around. We put away all of that and all these people show up and, and it was huge. And, you know, it was kind of like, the only New Year's Eve party to go to if you weren't going to be drinking. There was like the drinking one and the non-drinking one. And I know that makes my party sound lame, but there was nothing lame about it. It was amazing. All these people show up. I, I can't even imagine how many people showed up, but it was like everyone that we knew was at my party. And it was New Year's Eve, which is also my little brother's birthday. And so my mom, the plan was my mom was going to be at my little brother's birthday party and then come down later afterwards, you know, at like eight o'clock or whatever. And so my mom shows up and she comes in. We're all kind of just goofing around and singing and dancing and stuff. And my mom says, hey, I brought some pizzas from Sam's birthday party. Do you want to help me bring them in? I was like, yeah. And she goes, grab a couple of your friends because there's a lot. And I was like, well, how many can there be? And we go out to my mom's car. She pops the trunk and there's like 25 pizzas you know, they were not left over. She had bought them completely for us. And it was amazing. So we come with all these pizzas and it was just so fun. We had music going, we're dancing. I've got my girlfriend there and kind of all my good friends have their girlfriends there too. You know, everybody was kind of paired up with somebody and you're just having an amazing time, you know, just, just goofing around, sitting outside, eating food. We had a ping pong table in the room. We're playing ping pong and I've got these pictures from it. And it's just like, the perfect picture of high school fun, especially like innocent fun. Again, nobody was drinking. It was just all the fun that you can possibly have. And again, right at this time, it's 1999, New Year's Eve. Everybody was like worried about Y2K. You know, if you remember the Y2K thing, everybody was afraid that like the power grid for the whole country would go down right at midnight on New Year's Eve because computers weren't programmed to turn over to the 2000s. And so they thought because it's changing to the whole new century that like everything would freak out. I don't really know why, but there was a theory that it would be like the end of, you know, the electrical grid for like a while. And so like, even that was kind of buzzing in the air, you know, and there was just this great excitement about we're seniors in high school. We're all partying. We're all having a great time. You know, there's pizza and ping pong and girlfriends and what could be better than that. And we're dancing to good music and you know, the countdown to, to midnight starts to happen and there's just electricity in the air it was so exciting and you know you kind of partner up with your girlfriend and you're about to get that midnight kiss you know and you're snuggled in and there's music blaring and everything we're all shouting 10 9 8 and I'm like high-fiving my friends and you know everything's amazing and laughing and punching each other 7 6 5 and we get down 3 2 1 
and the lights go out. And that's where I'm going to pick up next week. Because after this, every episode will be year by year. And so next week will be the year 2000 in its entirety. Stick around. It's going to be awesome. Subscribe to this. Tell your friends about it. Share it with people. And I will see you next time. Thank you for listening.